When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a more than just podcast production. Blockers Podcast, Season 6, Episode 25. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All righty. Um, so yeah, we have. I'm going to start with some facts, but I'm going to I'm going to pivot and call this Keen facts because you know Keen, <laughs> our friend on our Slack channel, has c- contributed a few things in, in on the uh, lower decks uh, in our spoiler channel. Um, he also noticed that the, the check the um, exercise clothes were from TNG season three episode eight. Didn't give me the name of the show though, but yeah, clearly there's a picture of Deanna and. Uh, and uh, Beverly Crusher doing their exercises with the aforementioned clothes on. And he also pointed out that Kramer had a similar nacelle light experience when, uh, I guess it was a chicken rotisserie sign next to him, and so there was, like, red light coming out uh, out <laughs> of his uh, his room, and uh, Jerry says, can't you close the blinds? They are closed. <laughs> so anyways, a clip here in the, in the show notes. And then uh, other friend on the Slack channel, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, uh, Dave Price says that Ariana uh, Greenblatt is all, played young Ahsoka, and she also played young Gamora. So there's sort of a weird crossover universe connection there. Interesting, eh? Oh, was that a spoiler for this, today's show? I thought she had a familiar face, but uh, couldn't place it. So good on Dave. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll, we'll get we'll 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 discuss that when Keen's not listening, because you know I don't want to wreck his <laughs> young Ahsoka. You say. Our, Young Ahsoka? No, maybe maybe I say Young Ahsoka. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, all right, but we'll jump over to the headlines, and uh, um, hopefully um, Keen's not a Chucky fan, but we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. So this uh, this trailer that we'll have in the show notes is technically a couple weeks old, but I had no clue that this had come out until my uh, my television said, hey, there's a new thing for you to watch related to Chucky. I'm like, no, there's not a liar. I haven't heard about season three. Well, guess what? It's season three. This is the yeah. announcement trailer that uh, I got the uh, the old school way off of my TV versus uh, off the interwebs. But uh, yeah, it's just a little skit. Chucky as a, uh, you know, doing like a, a politician's talking to the press sort of thing. Season three mm-hmm. coming October 4th. Do you know, there? I have a connection to that season because I believe that our... Relative Justin, who does lighting, I'm pretty sure he worked on Chucky. And I'm, I think that Alex, um, my my niece's friend Alex, 
was also was talking about being on Chucky as well. So I don't know if she's been announced yet, but maybe that's a spoiler. I don't know. But that's cool. Yeah. It's it's one of those uh, shows that folks haven't seen before. Um, it sort of has to bridge that sort of fine line between... Um, I, actually, I'll make an analogy to it being kind of like the Cobra Kai series, the Karate Kid-based series, um, where for me, as a as a person who grew up with these properties in the 80s, I really do appreciate how they weave in the nostalgia factor. And then sort of the foundational piece is a lot of like teen drama stuff. I'm not really into teen drama. I'm sure they probably, you know, help bring in sort of a younger audience and bridge some gap. Uh, Chucky does probably a pretty good job, um, especially when it comes to that nostalgia factor of like, if you're a fan and you want to get serviced, then, you know, the Chucky TV show is probably as good as it's going to get. So you watch both seasons already, Jaime, the first two? Yeah, I've been watching that as it goes along on, um, I actually don't know which one I've been watching it on because in this message, uh, maybe this is the new sort of thing that we're going to have to get used to. It comes out on USA Network, Sci-Fi, and streaming next day on Peacock. don't know what that means for outside the US, but um, I don't watch on Peacock, so I don't know if I was watching on Sci-Fi or USA Network. I just tell my, you know, I just tell YouTube TV's DVR, like record Chucky and let me watch an episode when it's ready. Nice. Yeah, doing a quick scan to see where it's here in Canada, but uh, let's see. Oh, it's it's on Global TV. It's on the Global TV app here. Finally so, imported from America. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> designed again, in America, assembled in Canada. Is that how it yeah, works? Pretty much. Yeah. So that what that would mean, Jaime, for for you is if you had a cable package, you can log into this television networks app and watch it for the cost of your cable package for free. Um, so, yeah, part of our subsidized sci-fi. Oh, and around the same time, uh, this news came out that Universal Studios Japan is celebrating the 35th year of Chucky and the Child's Play series with a whole bunch of uh, really cutesy merchandise. So uh, taking the, the monsters aspect, if, uh, if you take a look in the show notes, those of you transporting at home, you know, there's some normal things like, you know, Felix the Cat or Curious George or... E.T. and the Boss Baby and uh, Where's Waldo? And then there's some weirder stuff like, you know, Chucky the doll. Uh, you've got what I believe to be Jaws and probably Blue the Velociraptor from Jurassic World. So uh, kind of an interesting, you know, cute design. This is one of those things where, again, I don't know that, that any of this stuff is strictly for small kids, but as somebody who watched some of these things and, you know, arguably should not have when i was very young <laughs> it was very scary back then um it's it's really close to for all ages not in terms of appropriateness but in terms of that uh, that mainstream sort of appeal and, and it's clearly cross-cultural appeal hmm. cool all right um gentlemen yeah i've got uh something that was exclusive to the good folks at entertainment weekly the uh, original cast of Buffy the Vampire, Vampire Slayer, the TV show, are getting back together for an audiobook project, which is kind of neat. Uh, although notably missing from this project is uh, one Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh, so they're doing a S Slayer's book. It's a Buffyverse story, and it is going to be circled around uh, the character played by James Marsters of Spike. And 
as part of it, it's supposed to be sort of like an Elseworlds tale where, you know, alternate dimension, alternate universe kind of thing where uh, Buffy is not the Slayer. And so history has changed and everything else. So that's why Sarah wouldn't be in it. And so it includes sort of focuses on James Marcher's Spike character, but also includes uh, Charisma Carpenter will be returning as Cordelia. Anthony Head is back as Giles. Um, we see we've got uh, Emma Caulfield to be back. Amber Ford. Uh, sorry, Amber Benson, rather. Uh, Danny Strong. Juliet Landau. So it's not the full cast, but it's a pretty good cross-section of the cast uh, back to do this, this audiobook. And, of course, they're going to do it in sort of that... Um, almost sort of radio play version of an audiobook. Sometimes you get those ones where multiple characters, multiple parts, as opposed to one person doing voices and stuff like that. So that's kind of neat. Uh, if you're a big Buffy head, as as I used to be, um, I haven't really revisited Buffy for quite a while, um, given a lot of circumstances, not the least of which is the fact that Joss Whedon is a huge scumbucket. Uh, allegedly, allegedly a huge scumbucket. Um so yeah, it's uh, if you're into the Buffy stuff, you can get your fix at this new audiobook, and it says it is coming this fall. Jaime, were you into Buffy? I was very loosely into that thing. I would watch probably a fair number of episodes, but not watch it on any regular schedule. Just oh, it happens to be on. All right, let me watch and be mm. you. Know, uh, depending on, I guess, the episode, slightly more confused than than not depending if it was more uh, story arark or you know, semi uh, you know villain of the week sort of stuff mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it does certainly get involved with like all the spin-off or they did the angel spin-off and stuff so it's kind of a commitment it's 12 seasons and it's old school television too so it's like 22 24 episodes whatever it is per season so it's it's quite a a, a long way to go if you want to commit to the whole thing mm-hmm mm-hmm but then they told the last few uh, seasons, eight, nine, and ten of Buffy were told in comic book form, too. So it depends on how much closure and completion you want, too. Alrighty. So next up, uh, we talked in a previous episode about the fact that they were going to do this somewhat random uh, spinoff of Spider-Man. They were going to do an El Muerto uh, movie. Now, this is based on a character that appeared in Spider-Man comic books, uh, and it was supposed to feature uh, the performer Bad Bunny, who was going to be the the star, uh, and there was a story this week that uh, he was in a profile in Vanity Fair, and he basically said, you know, hinted around the fact that he's no longer involved in this project, and then afterwards... Uh, his publicist confirmed basically he's he's not going to be involved anymore. So the project seems like it's still going forward. Uh, inexplicably, this is another one of the weird, random Sony mining all these uh, supplementary characters from the Spider-Man universe that they have the rights to and making a movie out of it. And uh, apparently that movie will no longer involve Bad Bunny, who is a draw. I mean, he's he's got an audience and... Uh, and I think people were who are fans of him and the character were excited about that. Um, I, I, it's not my cup of tea as far as, you know, I don't really like what Sony's been doing with these characters. And also, um, I don't think it's a particularly strong character for doing a whole movie around. But uh, yeah, so that's another sort of weird twist in the ongoing what the hell is Sony doing outside of Spider-Man movies. Hmm. Well, I have no context. I have no, no idea who the guy is even before. So can't say I'm heartbroken. I'm a bad bunny fan. 
No, but I am uh, adjacent to that. I do have some family members that are into Bad Bunny and go to the concerts and stuff. So I can see I can see the appeal because it seems like this person is pretty pretty popular in the, mm. the music space, or at least that music space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had no clue. I think, and I mentioned this last time, I had no clue who this character was. Like they were definitely like digging in the like NPR style, like which <laughs> which superheroes do we have sort of. Uh, leftover kind of thing what what can we do honestly feels like they're just throwing darts at a dartboard and saying a prayer at this point i mean <laughs> the randomness i i don't get it i don't get i don't get their plan at all it, it, it's unless it's to lose money to get someone some tax benefits i don't understand yeah no idea could be a good business uh slash career move to not be involved frankly for for bad bunny yeah yeah so what about uh, black mountain there i mean yeah, so we were wondering on this very show, if I remember correctly, we we're like, hey, what's up with Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom? Like, we haven't heard about that for a while. And then I randomly got this, like, teaser for the trailer. So not a teaser trailer. It is a, like, save the date this trailer is going to come out during the, uh, I want to say it was the, the NFL uh, opening night on uh, Thursday, September 7th. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I guess this is still happening. And uh, it is. It is, in fact, happening. It hits theaters on December 20th. Uh, brings back uh, a bunch of folks you would expect, like Jason Momoa. It brings back, you know, the uh, the Morpheus guy as, uh, as Black Manta. It even brings back the, uh, what was he, like half-brother or something that was uh, mm-hmm. uh, proclaiming to be king. Uh, Ocean Master. Was yeah. the main villain. Yes, thank yep. you, Ocean Master. So. Yep. Um, so, I don't know. It looks, you know, it's kind of a bummer that this area of uh of the dc universe is is going away or being transformed or whatever because i think the the jason momoa take on the character has been pretty fun uh, mm-hmm. a little bit on the wackier side but in a um guardians of the galaxy-esque sort of way which is a little surprising that they'd go so far away given that james gunn the director former director of those movies has uh, has taken over at the helm yeah it uh i had the same feeling so they, they put out the full trailer i think today uh, the the two minute and two and a half minute trailer uh, dropped, and yeah, you're right. It's it looks you know like this is exactly in our sweet spot, Jaime. With the get a bag of popcorn, turn off your brain. Like it just looks fun. Jason Momoa is undeniably charming, very likable. It's you know lots of action, lots of you know cracking wise. You know blows up good. I, I, I think this is going to be a perfectly entertaining movie, whether you choose to watch it in the theaters as the uh, the the end of the DC current DC uh, cinematic universe, or you wait till it shows up in your in living room. I think it's going to be just a a very easy, fun watch, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it's that expectation that is built around it that's a real real chore. One more. Okay, so this is this is my story of the week. This one is fascinating, and I'm absolutely curious to see where this goes. And I expect this story will break wider over the next few days as it, as it starts to get spread into the mainstream media. So there is a f- comic book creator, a very long-time comic book creator named Bill Willingham. And Bill is, uh, he's been making comics for, geez, my whole life, 50 years, almost. and. One of his most famous works was a Vertigo uh, or DC Black title called Fables, 
wherein he took it's a similar concept to what Disney later did with Once Upon a Time. It's basically what if the people who were in the fairy tales really existed and not only existed, but ex- still continue to exist. The Once Upon a Time stuff on TV was a little bit lighter. His story was very much more mature and adult, and, and but really, really well done. Good series. I, uh, I I enjoyed it. I have not, I'll admit, read, read the whole thing, but I, what I have read, I've really enjoyed. And Bill's very talented. So this was part of a creator-owned project. So Bill brought the idea to the Vertigo imprint, and... They made the series, and he did it for a long time, well more than 100 issues, a bunch of spinoffs, lots and lots and lots and lots of media content produced out of of all this. Bill uh, has apparently, today, decided to take a pretty drastic stage in trying to uh, maintain rights that were afforded to him in his contract, which is to say, uh, he feels like DC has not been or Warner Brothers, DC, Slash, uh, all that whole organization, has not been forthright in you know paying him what he's due as far as his royalties, as far as living up to the spirit of the contract and, and consulting him on a whole bunch of different aspects of it. And so he's decided to take a really dramatic step in that he's decided that since he owns this product, he is going to make it public domain. So hmm. he felt like he could not get into a protracted legal battle with DC over these rights to try and exercise his rights as the creator to get the rights back so that he could self-publish or sell the rights to a different publisher or do whatever he wanted. He said, I'm 67 years old. Uh, you'll, I'll have a link to his uh, Substack in in our show notes, and I highly recommend you read it. It's fascinating, fascinating read. He basically said, I'm 67. I'm not going to spend my, the rest of my days and my money fighting a massive corporation in court to try and get what is mine. But one thing that is crystal clear to me is I have the right to do what I want with this. And so I've decided to make this a public domain project. And so he does not have the right to give anyone else the right to publish it. But what he's doing by making a public domain is saying anybody can use these characters in any way they want. They can do these projects they want. They can't reprint the stuff that already exists. That purview falls still under DC or Warner Brothers. He can't. But what he's saying is you, Jaime, could be like, hey, I want to write my own fable story based on my enjoyment of fables and publish it. Nothing is stopping you now. Uh, I want to make a video game based on this. Nothing's stopping you now. I want to make a movie based on this. Nothing is stopping you now. It is a public domain property, just like anything that has lapsed. So this is an incredibly radical decision. And it'll be really interesting over the next days, weeks, and months to see how this is tested legally, what DC's response is going to be, uh, and sort of what comes of this writ large. But this is really, really interesting moment in creator rights as far as the idea that if you're not going to honor your commitments under contract and everyone knows that going up against these huge conglomerates is just you know part of their strategy is to bleed you dry right they basically they put you in a situation where they say you know hey we'd rather you know drag this out in court for five or six years and make you spend millions of dollars you don't have 
And in the end, you know, it could be an ambiguous conclusion. He's basically like, fine, I'm not going to fight that kind of fight. That's a fight you'll win even by attrition. I'm going to do this my way and has taken this very drastic step of relinquishing his creator rights to it. I'm, I am absolutely fascinated with this decision. And I think it's a huge moment, especially as we're talking about all the stuff that's going on with the writers on strike and the actors on strike and the rights and intellectual property and getting compensated for that property properly. I supremely endorse reading this substack of bills and seeing what he has to say here as to the decision-making process, what was at stake, why it was an issue. He's written quite a long piece here. He put out a press release today, so he's let people know. I have not seen it crop up in mainstream media, but those of us on the, the comic uh, sort of side of things have been trading this around all day and commenting and weighing in. Uh, and man, this is, this is really, really interesting. Now I thought you two would particularly find this interesting too, because again, it comes back to intellectual property rights. It comes back to creator, creator rights. And you know, that's not something that's exclusive to entertainment. That's certainly something across the board for people who create apps and content and all kinds of stuff. Uh, so I'm curious Based on my little ramble here, what uh, what do you guys think of this kind of kind of decision? I mean, it's interesting. Like whenever you, it's interesting. Like like I've seen. I was thinking about that as you were talking. Like I remember when the iPad first came out, there was a really cool three um, D game uh, based on Alice in Wonderland. You know, Lewis Carroll's illustrations, and they literally used Lewis Carroll's illustrations because by that time they were pub- public domain, right? Um, you know, and I think there was a Winnie the Pooh one, now that I think about it. But, you know, they were, you know, I'm thinking here, oh, I could, you know, totally do like a, an app with, with the content from Fables or figure out, not, you know, not the actual stories, but maybe go grab a couple of issues and read them and get the gist of it. And then, like you said, come up with something because nothing's, because that's half the battle in, in coming up with something that people will be interested in is something that already has an affinity with the product that they like, right? So, um, it's an opportunity for someone, like you said, who who has, you know, either a book or a, or a game or a movie in mind, you know, that wants to can can just jump on this this idea. Right. And have almost an instant audience like it's it's almost like that. Um, it was a movie with Eddie Murphy where he was running for office and he chose the name of a dying or dead incumbent. Oh, the, yeah. Um, the distinguished gentleman. Yeah, and he chose he chose his own like he chose a name, you know. The, and his campaign was the name you know, right? You know, so it's interesting. It's interesting that interesting to do that. I mean, it's kind of a, an opportunity for someone who's not necessarily creative to come up with their own sort of idea, universe, and whatever to to do that. So it's an interesting thing. And to be honest with you, I mean, like we talked about this a thousand times before, but you know, most of the works of a lot of artists are built on the shoulders of other artists that they've borrowed from, you know, and as Picasso always claimed to say, you know, be a, be a thief kind of thing or steal, steal with, uh, steal ideas and, and build on them, you know? So it's a, it's a long tradition in, in art and whether you're the Romans taking over the Greeks and changing the name of their gods or, you know, you're Picasso boring from Cezanne and, you know, then people boring from Picasso and so on and so forth. Right. Yep. It's not, I mean, if, if, conglomerates were around in, in, you know, 1910, 1911, when Picasso was starting up, it would have been a whole different world, right? Yeah. Well, and it, it comes back to the, you know, the idea of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which was a 
really terrible film, but an incredibly good book by Alan Moore and, and Kevin O'Neill. The idea was to take all of these characters that had returned to the public domain. Um, so oh, Mina really? Murray okay. from from Dracula, Alan Quartermain, um, uh, Doctor uh, Jekyll, Mister Hyde, Captain Nemo. Exactly. So they, you know, and and initially they um, uh, in one of the later books, by the time it had lapsed, they included James Bond because James Bond is actually. Uh, technically in England has lapsed. So depending on the rules of the country. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, same idea, right? Like once once these things enter public domain, that's what happened with Winnie the Pooh this year, right? Winnie the Pooh is officially public domain as of this year. So now we're starting to see, you know, there was a, I think we talked about the Winnie the Pooh horror movie that came out and stuff. So, right. you oh, know, yeah, right. yeah. It's, uh, it's basically, it's jumping the gun on that by saying, you know, hey, Fables was going to be public domain in, you know, 75 years after Bill Willingham's death. Well, Bill's just pressed the fast forward button on that and said, you know what? Why wait until, uh, you know, the year 2100? I'm out and go nuts. And, you know, as far as a, a you know, raised middle finger to, to these corporations that control and, again, use the legal system as, as uh, you know, weapons and shields. This is an interesting reaction to that. Now, obviously, in the long term, it could cost Bill a lot of uh, potential earnings and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's um, as a statement, as an artistic statement, man, that is that is just putting them on the table. Hmm. Yeah. But what you, Jaime? I, I think you all covered a lot of the uh, like impact. I'm I'm still kind of shocked that this was even a possibility that the, yeah. the rights weren't in the hands of DC. That this. Uh, sort of nuclear option is even available to the creator so that's, well, that's pretty interesting i think it's going to be tested that's for darn sure because right now i'm sure uh, dc is probably uh their legal department is probably in full speed trying to be nipping this in the bud before people start trying to take advantage of this project and they may well start slapping people with cease and desists and uh what do they call it when they um they use the law to basically stop people from, uh, is it chilling, chilling effect? They they all basically mm. start, you know, if these people start popping up, uh, you know, their own fable stories or whatever else, they'll, they'll slap them with cease and desists and stuff to try and get them to stop before they can, uh, you know, get out of hand. But yeah, it's uh, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So we're at that part of the show where we talk about something Star Trek related. And this week, we're back again with another episode of Lower Decks, Season 4, Episode 3, In the Cradle of Vexion. And uh, we'll jump in with um, our um, elevator pitches. Elevator pitches. Mine is, if you want, to do, if you want something done right, do it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is totally not true. <laughs> we had two, ma two managers go rogue and decide to take over, right? You guys, what are your elevator pitch? Okay, uh, Jaime, you go first. Yeah, mine was, um, you know, Boimler and Freeman show us that whether you're a first-time leader or experienced leader, it's really tough to let go of your Legos. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, computer problems, mismanagement, and mundane tasks. Just another day at the office for the crew of the Cerritos. Did they try turning it on and off again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I thought you two might very much appreciate the humor of the uh, the computer reboot uh, scenario there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So this this was a real three-hander, right? This Each each storyline kind of had its own uh, legs. The A-plot, A -plot, B-plot, and C-plot were kind of almost given equal time. 
Yeah, for sure. Like they, they kind of bounced around. We had on the one hand, we had uh, Freeman and was it, um, oh, what's the, the Jerry O'Connell character? Captain Ransom. Ransom. Yeah. Uh, Commander Ransom. Yeah. Commander Ransom with the with the ancient computer. I thought it was going to be one of the. I mean, it's a typical trope again of Star Trek, where you've got this computer that runs the world kind of thing. You know, um, I thought it was going to be like. Well, it kind of was. I guess the the computer. You know, where the computer goes rogue and and or it controls people. There was Landru in the original series. I don't know if there was. Were there and there was like there was um, the one where the the computer kind of run or the the tribal people and Kirk gets you know gets hit over the head and forgets who he is and and the one where Wesley is uh where Wesley breaks the law and they want to kill him and steps stuff. on the grass yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so all that kind of so the, so that could have been that and and it does happen that when i mean they had a problem with the computer because it kept like like it would make tea hot and or iced tea hot or it would make it snow in the middle of summer and that kind of stuff right so that's why Freeman steps in to fix it. And of course she's into legacy computers. So she decides, you know, oh, I, I know this is Unix. I know this just like in Jurassic park. Right. And, um, yeah, she, and somehow she, I don't know, pushes the wrong button or something happens and it, and it actually takes the whole system down. Right. Um, which is true because back then systems were that fragile. Right. Yeah. <laughs> then on the other hand, we had, uh, um, we had what's uh, what's his name uh, Boimler was given his first lieutenant assignment where he was given the task of you know this very dangerous thing. I love the I love the interplay between him and and uh, what's the name of the girl Talin. Vulcan to Talin. She was she had I mean she had some of the best lines in this show for sure this week. Oh yeah. And so they had a, they had a plot with the with the you know, the the ensigns and stuff like that. They're trying to and he and he wouldn't let them. He thought it was too important for them or he, he felt guilty about letting them or bossing them around. And then, uh, on, then we had, uh, Beckett and, um, uh, Rutherford and Tendi were given the task of, of trying to, and the, you know, the course is going to be like not just one Easter egg, but a 10,000 or 20,000 Easter eggs in these isolinear chips, right? That they have to find the one that's, that's bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and they walk into a room and it's full of isolinear chips, right? And no data to be found. No, Mister Data. No. <laughs> well, that was it. They had they ended up having to be the the guys, right? So they played with some nice tropes here. So the in universe saying like, "Are you sure you want us to fix this thing?" Is not like taking over the population or enslaving you in some awful way. Like, yeah. <laughs> like we should turn it off. Um, there's uh, some fun stuff around. Um, sort of the the absurdity of of some things like uh, i'll just go with my two quotes that seem to sum up a lot of the the various tropes that were being played with here um to lynn telling boimler that your caution is warranted statistically ensigns serving under recently promoted commanders are more likely to experience death and or dismemberment <laughs> <laughs> and or dismemberment. yes exactly Which, you know we and definitely or We've definitely seen that on shows, and uh, at the very tail end, Ransom says, you never forget your first death. <laughs> yeah. And then something like, it's only gets more dangerous from here. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of rite of passage, right? Yep. Yeah, cool. So, Pew Pew, that was, I mean, I mean, there was all kinds of weird things happening, like, you know, clouds, frozen clouds landing on people. Um. I think you know what what the the part where where uh, Beckett has to keep the 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 commander busy while um, Rutherford and 
Tendi kind of run around with their laser scanners, and that was kind of a bit of a pew pew action in this one. There wasn't much fighting going on, right? Yeah, I had the uh, I had the Boimler part of this because uh, you know the volcano shows up and it's spewing lava everywhere, and they have to you know undo everything he just did, and you know there is the chance of death. I had that one as my pew pew just because it felt like the most uh, potential for a, a death, and actually does end in somebody's death twice. Jaime, I mean, would you have for pew pew? I did have the uh, the regenesis in general of like stuff mm. just going wild on the. Um, it's not quite an Easter egg hunt, but I did write down that the planet Corazonia is kind of like a Dyson sphere meets Halo in terms of look and feel and how they handle and interact with it. I think it's called a Ring World. It was a book yep. called Ring World where yep. mm, yeah, the, the, the original orbiting yes. ring. Yep. And I still have to. I still have to ask where did they get the materials to build the ring from? Because surely they would have upset the balance of the Earth if they or the planet they were on. No, they just strip mined the nearby planets in a horrible yeah. act of destroying the environment. Yeah, and which, which I mean, if you did that, it would also upset the balance of your universe as well, right? But yeah. as we all know, that's why you know it's kind of raining and getting hot and burning down and stuff right right now. Yeah. Climate change, right? It's the one. That's the one. On the Easter egg side, this episode was a lot of fun. Uh, the room of anomalies, uh, the anomaly storeroom was very funny. Um, I would like to go back and rewatch that one with a little more time and just sort of see what else I can see in there. But uh, obviously the, the obvious ones, they, they had the Betazoid gift box, which we had seen in TNG, the weird uh, face sticking out of the box. And uh, that led to a few jokes, which we'll get to into our... Uh, quotes. We had the the Wadi Chula game that was from the ninth episode of uh, of DS Nine from the first season. Um, and of course, they mentioned the the weird little nursery rhyme out later on in the episode when Rutherford has to actually go through it and he sort of you know just keeps slam dunking rooms, which was was very funny. And um, it seemed like the the beam that strikes the Betazoid box at, near the end of the episode, and he says, I miss my wife. That seemed like uh, a reference to the inner light beam that hits Picard uh, and gives him that whole other storyline where he's living on a different world and he has to live his whole lifetime there. And then he like, snaps back. There's also a back. callback to last week where the, where the bartender guy said, I miss my wife too, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, true, true. <laughs> the running theme in Star Trek. Um, but yeah, those were, those were really funny. Nomad was in there too. You know, the, the one that became V'ger in the movies. Yeah, there was, again, I, I need to go back and bit by bit that one. I'm sure there, there are smarter Trek, uh, historians in there who will, will pull out a whole list of all the things in there. But that was, that was very much fun. Again, it's the privilege of being uh, junior lieutenants. They get to, to access this room. And of course, for us, it's, uh, we get to see more behind the curtain of the weirdness of what it must be like to live on a a Star Trek, a Star Trek, a Starfleet vessel. I do. I recall we have some stuff from Keen. I should look into it. Um, quotes, man. There was this one was a just a chock a block with them. Um, your world computer is lagging from Freeman. Uh, everything that has ever occurred is science stuff from Talin. That was I thought just like the best shutdown line I've heard in a long time. Um, I'm not going to read the quote from the gift box, but it was very inappropriate swearing, followed by the line from Tendi, I didn't know Dr. Ta'ana came in here. Um, 
<laughs> Lancelot, leave me alone. I don't have any meat from from Rutherford as as uh and Chief Engineer Billups uh uh pet was trying to attack Ferret, him. Yeah. Yeah. Pet ferret, yeah. Um okay, no big deal. Just a frozen progress bar and some crazy day night stuff from Freeman. Uh fascinating. A mountain or possibly a volcano has appeared. Boom. Ah, it is a volcano from Talin. And uh, Boimler's heroic, nobody's exploding today. I like that one. And then uh, one you you had mentioned before, I mean, you never forget your first death. That was a that was a, a classic. And of course, poor Boim's dies trying to say, keep his crew safe, and uh, and then dies again when he realizes how how much he'd, he'd gone through. That was very funny. Yeah. He brought back the koala as part of that. That, that was funny. Too. That was funny. What was the koala from? Originally, uh, it's like first season, maybe when somebody was like ascending to like a higher plane of consciousness and uh, he ends up saying, like, I, I see, you know, everything. I see the koala. What does he know? <laughs> it's kind of like, a, you know, absorbing too much knowledge of the universe into your your tiny, feeble human brain. <laughs> So uh, a big chunk of this episode uh, revolves around what we what we learn in the end is is hazing, right? This is this is uh, Tendi and Rutherford and uh, and Marin are being hazed by Lieutenant uh, Dirk and Ransom. Uh, so I had to put this as my question: uh, Have you guys ever suffered a hazing at a new job or uh, anything like that? Um, no, but I've had people come to me, you know. Um having been hazed by other people in the plant and they, you know, they send them over to ask me a question kind of thing. And uh, yeah, have to tell the, the, the rube that they're being hazed. Yeah. I may, I, I haven't, I've, I guess I've been fortunate there, but it uh, is maybe a consequence of not having uh, the kind of jobs that we tend to have hazing. Mm. Well, let me tell you about the world of journalism folks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's filled with a bunch of obnoxious, competitive jackasses. And so hazing is constant. Uh, practical jokes are rampant. Um, the The only one that I ever got caught by was when I was a rookie reporter. Um, I came in one day and I looked at the morning assignment sheet for what I was going to have to tackle that day. And it was like the length of my arm and I don't know why I didn't just go, hey, wait a minute, this can't be right. I looked at it and was like, how the heck am I supposed to fit this in one day? This is just crazy. And I sat down and I started planning out like how I'm going to do this stuff. And then finally, my boss came over and was like, uh, the rest of the team is messing with you. You don't actually have to do all that work today. I was like, oh, man, um, that was a pretty good one. And that led to a small scale uh prank war that went on for for quite a while in the newsroom of uh people playing practical jokes on one another to try and you know uh continue the uh the the fun of it but um yeah it was definitely uh it was definitely one of those ones you can you can play on the people on the new time on the job and be like no no this is part of the new job you have to do this everybody does this you know you can really you can sell that stuff pretty easily especially for i I couldn't have been like 23 24 when i ran afoul of that prank so i was like yeah again just taking myself too seriously not looking for the the silliness in it but uh yeah that but um yeah yeah be beware future journalists of the world that that uh you will be entering a world filled with wise asses 
Well, some of the ones I can say on the air, um, like we used to have, we used to work. In, I used to work in a plant where we actually made physical goods, and you'd often get sent for a bucket of steam. Or um, <laughs> we worked with we worked with wood, and so they would, you'd get sent to go get the wood stretcher. So you know, if the wood wasn't long enough, you know. But I'm sure those those are you know tropes that happen in construction all the time. Yeah. But like I said, those are the ones I can say on air. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm I'm also editing out some of the more colorful experiences of my um, journalistic times. They they. Um, I work in a place now where that would be frowned upon, but uh, but back in the day, yeah, it, oh, it was tolerated. Out, yeah, it would be frowned upon anywhere. You'd you'd be in front of HR in a minute. No, oh yeah, no problem. Yeah, no, true, 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 true. But uh, back yeah. then, boy, it was fine. Yep. People just can't take a joke anymore. <laughs> anyway. Um... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Let's move on to Ahsoka. Speaking of not being able to take a joke. Um, yeah, so we are at part five, Shadow Warrior. Shadow Warrior? Yes, okay, I guess so. So, yeah, what's the pitch? Uh, I'll, I'll go this time. So uh, I had, sometimes a hero just has to fall into a pit with a Balrog or a nasty force ghost just so they can rise again as Gandalf, <clears throat> sorry, I mean Ahsoka the White. <laughs> Oh yes, true, true. The costume change, yeah. I think mine, mine would probably be something along the lines of like, I mean, it's a typical um, uh, part of the hero story, part of actual you know, legends. I think even the Bowhead Gita has a story where um, a young, a young um, prince is taught by Krishna that sometimes you have to go to war and you have to fight, even even though you're a peaceful person, right? So. And the name of that person was Orjuna. And over to you, Jaime. I went with a much more uh, plain, straightforward one that um, uh, Hera and crew desperately trying to find Ahsoka, who is fighting for her life. Yeah. You could also say, I, you know, I, I haven't taught you everything. That could be another good one, good line. That was a good line in the middle of this, this show, right? So we talked in previous episodes of our podcast about how accessible or inaccessible this ahsoka series has been this one is just riding an absolute razor's edge because if you have seen clone wars and you have seen rebels and all of the dave filoni led uh part of the star wars universe this one was a cornucopia of goodness if you haven't and all you've seen are the films and maybe a few of the TV shows, it still offers you a ton of value as far as, you know, who Ahsoka is, her relationship with Anakin, 
uh, you know, what has sort of had, <laughs> what has that stick in her bum been this whole first few episodes of this? Why has she been so sort of standoffish and weird? Um, so as far as sort of both in the narrative of this eight episode series, as well as the larger Star Wars universe, for those of us who are in the deep end of the pool, this was a killer. This was an absolute killer episode. Uh, you really get a sense of, you know, the the reason why, you know, we've been saying like, wow, it's funny, Rosario Dawson's portrayal of Ahsoka has been really kind of standoffish and acting kind of weird, not like the character that we knew. But then we really hadn't dealt with her character of Ahsoka since she found out that Anakin became Darth Vader. And this is the fallout of her finding out that Anakin was Vader that she was afraid if she's part of this long legacy of, of, you know, people who are flawed, that she must also be flawed. And that line from Balin Skull in the last episode, you know, your le master's legacy is one of death and destruction, that really hit her where it counts. She really felt that way, that she perhaps was as, as prone to being, you know, making those kinds of horrible mistakes that could lead to catastrophe the way that things did for for Anakin and that's why she was not necessarily a great teacher for uh for Sabine and not necessarily a great hang for the first few episodes of this um and then we see her sort of as after as you mentioned Tim she gets rescued by uh, Hera and uh and Carson Teva and the, and the rest of the uh, the the um what are they called New Republic I guess uh forces we see her come back with this sort of smile on her face she's sort of in a better place she's had this moment where she went into the world between worlds she saw her former master he taught her a little lesson about you know her real legacy and her real legacy isn't one of you know flaws and death and destruction it's about hope and new opportunity and growth and positivity and yeah, she comes out the other side just uh, transformed in an almost literal sense because she goes into the water wearing gray and comes out wearing white. Well, I mean, so there's also the, the I mean, the one side, one thing that, that people wouldn't know, and they didn't really cover it in this one. In, I, think she, I think she mentioned it a couple, maybe a couple of episodes ago that, you know, because she was accused of something really heinous, right? And, and mm -hmm. the Jedi Order turned on her, if you remember, right? Yep. And uh, once she was found to be cleared, she she said, screw you and left. So, she, so th this all, I mean, the whole series could be called Ahsoka, the Reluctant Jedi, because, you know, for a while there, she, and she was hiding after Order 66, too. Like, she had to run around in, in the books and some of the series where she couldn't tell people what she was, who she was or what she was doing. And she had to be real careful about using her powers, you know, and she did occasionally and they would find out and then she'd have to move on. Kind of like, you know, the, the fugitive in, in a sense, right? But, um, you know, it was really interesting to see here. And she does mention for the, for the people who haven't been playing along, but this is the Clone Wars when they're, when she falls, when she, when she comes back as the little, the young child. I thought it was really cool, just if we can get into the Easter eggs for a part of this, is, is the Ahsoka headpieces. I thought they were really cool because mm -hmm. not only her headpieces, but also Anakin's outfits as um, Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars. Because when they go back to the, to the first Clone Wars, he's dressed in a particular style from that animated series with the haircut, right? And then in the second one, second iteration, he has a, he has a more modern armor-like 
covering, right? And she's ha- she's wearing a different headset at that or headgear at that point because they kind of decorate. I guess her species women decorate the space between their face and and their whatever those things are that on their head, right? Yeah, her headtails. Um, yeah. yeah, the headtails or whatever they are. But um, and I thought it was really cool because because you know the 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 um, jewelry she wears as a little kid is very distinctive shapes, right? Um, and then the other big Easter egg, of course, was Rex, right? I think Rex is Rex. We lost Rex at some point, didn't we? Well, no, he's he's he is a character still in Bad Batch, which is the furthest that we've gotten uh, ahead with his character, right? So he was a recurring character in Clone Wars. Uh, very important to the final story arc with Ahsoka that happens in parallel with Revenge of the Sith. And then from there, uh, we see him in the Bad Batch. And then from there, again, we see him in Rebels. And they have confirmed that uh, he was on the Battle of Endor. So that is canon. He he was Mm. still alive as of the Battle of Endor. So in theory, Rex could still be alive in this era. I think we were... Some of us hardcores were kind of hoping because the relationship between Rex and Ahsoka is one of the pivotal ones in Clone Wars that does carry yeah. forward into Rebels because he, she puts the Rebels in touch with uh, with Rex and Gregor and and the remnants of of the survivors who had gotten the chips removed from their heads and they become critical in helping some of the key moments in uh, in Rebels too. So. Yeah, it was nice to see Rex, and it was certainly nice. It was Tamira Morrison actually doing the voice, and was uh, it? Okay. yep, and it was really nice to see those glimpses. We see him both as Captain Rex on the Battle of Ryloth um, at the beginning, so those are the the, the Twi'leks, and then we see him as Commander Rex in the uh, the Siege of Mandalore fight later in the episode when Ahsoka's a little more teenage as opposed to childlike, and. Uh, yeah, really nice to see Rex in in there, but um, but not as much as I think I was hoping for, especially because their relationship was such a cool part of that story. I could kind of see that that this being this was the one that was in the theaters, right? Yes, because because uh, it had the 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 you know where she wakes up, but she falls to after Anakin cuts the Skywalk or whatever it is, and she falls to the ground and and becomes back as the young Jedi or young young Ahsoka, and she stands up. And she's in this fog of war, as it were, right? I don't remember there being fog of wars per se in in the Clone Wars, but it was a lot of battles and that kind of stuff. But it was kind of neat the way they kind of played that, so that we didn't know this is where we were until you saw the, the clone troopers running through, right? Yep. And there a lot of people were were commenting the day after uh, this, you know, talking about just how incredible it was to see the. Uh, you know, the Clone Wars come to life. You know, these are the Battle of Ryloth is straight out of the episodes. The Battle of the Siege of Mandalore is straight out of the episodes. Uh, to see the the Darth Maul loyalists, uh, Mandalorians in their uniforms with the spikes on their helmets. And, you know, just, it, you know, the, the Ryloth, the, the Twi'leks on Ryloth, you know, running into battle. I couldn't make out whether that was supposed to be Ayala Sakura, uh, who was a Jedi uh, from uh, that species at the beginning, or if that was just supposed to be a troop or something like that but that was kind of interesting so yeah it was um it was really an interesting little trip down down uh memory lane for for clone wars fans mm-hmm. 
So should, you want to go through Easter eggs? I mean, there's probably way too many to, for me yeah, to Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious <laughs> ones we talked about, obviously Rex and, and actually Tamara Morrison coming back and doing the voice. Battle of Ryloth, Siege of Mandalore we talked about. Um, there was a reference to Senator Organa running interference for Hera. So uh, at that point, I guess it would be uh, Senator Leia Organa, because uh, this is after... Um, the fall of the uh of the empire but that was an interesting little little easter egg in there little little leia reference always nice to get those in there um Jaime, did you have any other easter eggs uh i did write down uh you, you'd got captain rex i wrote uh, the mention of Kanan jarris yep um jason's father um the little bit of vader snippet that you get yeah a little yeah. bit of visual and and audio sound and, and the color two. is lightsaber too. So the the red lightsaber Anakin is a tricky one because it's not like a real Easter egg, other than a this is what you would think of, right? Like this literally never happens because you know in um, uh, Revenge of the Sith he goes full bad in his uh, with his blue lightsaber, the one that ultimately ends up uh, you know uh, family heirloom going to Luke. Um, but this is, I think, what you would you would think of and consider, right? Oh, uh, a young Anakin Skywalker uh, running around the red lightsaber because that's what what a Sith would do. Uh, the other one that I that I wrote as a sort of intentional choice of style is, um, you know, we were talking before about like how Ahsoka's style of fighting with the lightsaber is very different than um, Balin's style, right? And I would even throw in here Anakin style, young Anakin style is very different than Vader, uh, Darth Vader's, you know, suited style. This is a very uh, cocky fighting style where he, he he doesn't cover up his weaknesses too much. He's going to, you know, out uh, outmaneuver you with his just raw talent, right? He, he leaves stuff open. He's got a lot of twirl stuff, a lot of heavy, aggressive type of moves. So that's what I wrote, that it, it definitely felt like somebody was paying attention to what his style was in the, the prequels. Yeah, the spoiler, of course, is that she beats him at the end. She manages to... He, he disarms her, but did she let him dis- disarm her so that she could disarm him? I don't think so, because I think in the end, what it comes down to is what he says at the beginning. You know, you have to you have to make a different choice. You have to choose to live. You have to try uh, to, you know to realize who you are right and and so she when she ends up disarming him and you know you can see the anger in her face you can see it and the whole point was she she was worried that she would turn the way he turned and in the end she's she turns off the lightsaber and says i choose to live right and that's really the moment where you she's transformed she's changed from worrying that she was going to go down a dark path like anakin because if she was taught by anakin what else could she know and then realizes no i'm my own person i'm my own jedi um oh say my question is and we talked about this in in past episodes so the arc of anakin on the clone wars redeems the rather crappy version we saw in in the first three films, the, the prequel films, that is, in that by the time you get to watching all of Clone Wars, and then even especially once you get to Twilight of the, of, of the Apprentice in uh, in Rebel, Rebels, where Ahsoka finally does realize that that Vader is Anakin, um, it, it makes for a real tragedy. You realize like how really heartbreaking it is that Anakin fell, that he was this complete person that had 
you know, love and friendship and kindness and empathy and all these beautiful human traits. Um, and so when he falls in, in Revenge of the Sith, it is a genuine tragedy in the movie. I, it felt really forced and fake and quick. And again, the writing was not the best writing that's ever occurred in star Wars. When we see it played out by Dave Filoni in clone wars and into rebels, it really feels tragic. Here we have Dave Filoni writing dialogue and bringing back and using some computer technology to de-age Hayden Christensen and have him come back. And this was far and away the best version and live action we've ever seen of Anakin. He is, of course, a ghost, but he's also, uh, you know, he really feels true to the character that we've come to love through the Clone Wars and not the one we were kind of mercilessly mocking for the for the first couple or the second couple of, of, of um, live action movies for the prequels. Do you think that this is a, a nice sort of bow on the redemption of Hayden Christensen slash Anakin Skywalker? <laughs> I think it's more important for Ahsoka's growth, right? Because, I mean, she doesn't she doesn't actually get ultimate closure because she, at the very end of it, she turns to ask him a question and he's gone, right? So she doesn't actually get to ask that final question that she wants to ask, right? Um, but she did go through this lesson with him, which is what, what the, the whole point of this, this sequence was that she had to learn that, that um, the prince's, you know, the, what the, the Bahagiva lesson that you... You can't all. You can't always win with peace, right? Mm. Some sometimes you have to. You have to go to war to get peace, right, or to get you know, to move on. That's just the way things are. But, um, and I think that was the point of this is is that she had she had to make the choice to live, right? And she and that was the lesson here was that she had to get to the point where she's either going to let him run her through, right, and move on to the you know, the wherever Jedi's go when they die, but or you know she was going to take this lesson, learn from it, and then go back and be a better Jedi person, human, whatever you want Mm -hmm. to call it, you know, when she becomes Ahsoka the White, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think, Jaime? Hmm. This is kind of an interesting sort of turn for the series for me that I'm I'm kind of trying to pull it all together. So I've, you know, seen some of Clone Wars to try to interpret this. Um, Like, I don't know how literal some of this is, right? Like, the the world between worlds. I can definitely think that some of this ends up being sort of relative to like the forces everywhere and there's different ways of consciousness and being, and then trying to take that into like, you could totally believe in a, um, uh, do you remember the movie contact with, uh, Jodie Foster? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who were they like, Hey, so like what happened? Like you just dropped down to the sphere and like nothing happened. She's like, no, no, no. Like I totally met these aliens and uh, saw my dad, but it wasn't really my dad. It was the, the aliens giving a form I could understand to my dad. And you end up right, with this like, way beyond her comprehension. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, well, but she also has like uh, 18 hours of like static on her in cockpit recorder. Right. So like you believe what you want to believe. Like, what exactly happened. And that's one of the things I look at here in terms of like what is actually happening. And I think it's kind of a, you know, believe what you want to believe. The heart of this, I think that you all both sort of really well covered is, um, you know, recognizing that uh, there is something to heritage, whether that's, you know, 
literal in the blood sense or in the like master student sense. And yet, um, you know, it's really hard for us to get away from sort of cosplaying as like what we think we're supposed to be rather than how do I really feel? And it, it, I think you nailed it right on the head of like Ahsoka has figured out that she doesn't have to worry that, Oh, I'm destined to this thing. I can be my own person. I can do these things. And maybe it'll end up changing her relationship with like Sabine, right? That she had not, you know, wanted to to keep that that heritage, that legacy, that negative one that she perceived going. And then I think you're also quite right. Like outside of this universe, we have talked about this as being uh, Rebel season five. We've talked a, a little bit here, I think, implicitly about like, oh, this is kind of like another season of Clone Wars as well, if you look at it that way. And then you end up with this interesting sort of mix of it doesn't break any of the existing canon it tries to fill in and support some weaker areas like you mentioned it like um the the character of anakin skywalker wasn't really that well portrayed through the the three prequel movies and is much more uh, appropriately filled in for his fall and his relationships and everything um white people would would look at him in a certain way of like you know, a wistfulness for who he was and the greatness that he was. And then that you know, much sharper, you know, disappointment is really underselling it, right? Of like just being crushed by who he became. And I think they, I don't know how approachable this series is in general for folks who haven't uh, absorbed all of that, but I certainly feel like at least this episode might be one that would be kind of helpful to try to tie it together for them, that you can see the the metaphor here of what they're going for. So I don't know. Yeah. I, that's probably a lot of <laughs> rambling as I'm still trying to figure this all out, but I, I am enjoying this. So this was, uh, I did not go to, uh, I didn't get on the wait list for the, uh, the in theater ticket stuff, but this probably would have done really well in the theater. You got a lot of the cool pew, pew, pew. You've got the majesty of the, the purgles and stuff that probably would have looked great on the huge screen. Yeah. I think, uh, this one, it's funny, we, we really only covered half the episode because really it was about, you know, the, the, the search for her, her in the world between worlds and then her coming out. And then there was a whole 20 minutes after that, which was, uh, you know, working with Hera, trying to figure out, okay, you know, the, the bad guys won last time. Uh, what do we do now? And, and there's this whole sort of second part. And part of that, you're right, Jaime, was, was just beautiful. The you know, uh, Ahsoka the White then figures out, okay, what we need to do is get these Purgles on our side and figure out a way to, you know, help them uh, figure out what we're trying to do and take us where we need to go. And so we get this whole sort of majestic scene where she, like Ezra in, in Rebels, sort of uses her sort of newfound calm and, and sort of connection to the Force, reconnection to the Force, to connect with this monstrously huge... A creature that basically does the full uh, Pinocchio opens up the mouth and and in they go and they end up, uh, you know, her and and uh, Hu Yang end up, you know, heading to the other side of the universe in this giant space whale's mouth uh, on a leap of faith. And again, beautiful visuals, really, really interesting. Again, between you know the Clone Wars stuff and that stuff and uh, even the stuff on the planet. Like this was a very cinematic episode. Of course, we should mention it was directed as well as written by Dave Filoni. So this is, you know, uh, if this is the person who's going to be directing the sort of finale of this sort of whole Thrawn, Ahsoka, Mandalorian thing, which they've announced is going to come in the next few years, 
um i'm fine with that this looked amazing so yeah it was um it was pretty cool it was really really interesting visual it would have been interesting to see on a large screen yeah i think the cool part for me was and we haven't really talked about is is jason you know realizes that that ahsoka's not gone because he he has the sense that she's there and that's when they mentioned the fact that he's got powers right um, but I think that was cool that he said he could hear the lightsaber battle in the waves. And you, you know, if you listen, yeah. you could hear the, the lightsabers between those when Anakin and, and Ahsoka were first fighting. Right. Yeah. And it's funny. We knew that, um, we knew from a previous episode, he said, you know, I want to be a Jedi, but you never know if that's just like a little kid's fantasy or whinging. feeling about this. Right. Yeah. 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 Like we had gotten a sense that something was kind of happening there, but we didn't really know if that was a for real thing or if that was just like, I want to be one when I grow up, but obviously being Kanan and Hera's uh, child, you'd think that that would make sense to, you know, be force sensitive and, uh, and sure enough in this one, we see that he's, he's definitely connected to the force. I thought was interesting was that, in listening, even Hera, think you know. I think we're supposed to understand that Hera can hear the lightsaber fight in the waves. So yeah, yeah. you know that's an interesting development too. It, yeah, is is he sharing that with her, or is she also sort of attuned? You know, is it is it what they've talked yeah. about? You know, the forces and everything. Um, yeah, interesting. What do you think about the the portrayal of Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Hera compared to Hera from Rebels? I mean, I'm. She Hera is I, I love the character. I love the character from Rebels a hundred percent. I I am finding her character a little different, but then I think she's kind of falling a little bit initially, she was falling into the same bucket that we've talked about, which is that like, you know, even from Mon Mothma, you know, that sort of officious by the books, uh, you know, we're now part of a new government kind of thing that was I think we're supposed to be laying the foundation for why the New Republic eventually is flawed and falls when we get to the to the First Order stuff from Episode 7, 8, and 9. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's as subtle as they'd like it to be, or I'd like it to be for sure. It feels a little ham-fisted sometimes, you know, the, the snotty uh, senator from a couple episodes back and, and you know, the sort of the bureaucratic, you know, the, the snotty captain from the first episode that Balin Skull kills and stuff like that. Like, it just, I think they're kind of doing that. And I, and I don't know if that's what they were trying to do with Hera, but it certainly feels like it rubbed off on that, too. She's certainly not the same character. But again, we really haven't dealt with her very much since... We saw her at the end of Rebels, and even then, you know, like, we didn't, we don't know what her experiences have been in the last few years. You know, we know she's had to be a single parent because her, her partner, Kanan, uh, again, spoilers if you haven't watched Rebels, but uh, Kanan dies in the, in the last few episodes of, of Rebels, and, you know, I think that maybe that's supposed to have made her a little less sort of joyful and humorous although she is always kind of the mom of, of rebels too so yeah that's what i mean she but she's very much the wrong mom in rebels like she was the one that kept them kept them from goofing around too much right yeah so you know um hard to say hard to say i i'm not loving it but i'm not hating it that's for sure that's for sure. Yeah. Well, it's it's a different person playing the role too. Obviously, we have yeah, to of course, of course. And but again, I mean, it is. We do also have to factor in, you know, as I say, she's she will have gone through a ton of life experiences. Maybe this is who she's meant to be now. But uh, it's funny. Last week we talked about, you know, well, is is Hera or Hera and Jason uh, Chop 
and the ghost coming through. And by the way, as a little aside, thanks for all the sexy glamour shots we got of, you know, very Enterprise-esque scan, the flybys of the ghost. Thank you for those. I was like, <laughs> my inner Star Wars nerd was was fully, fully excited by that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, she's gone through a lot of life, right? She's gotten a lot of experience in the time that we had, since we last saw her. And, you know, you kind of got to allow for some, some changes and some I'm not talking about the stuff. character. I'm talking about the portrayal, right? I'm not yeah. talking about the character. I'm talking about the portrayal. So I, I think they're intertwined. Thing. I think it's it's hard to know what her instructions were versus how she's choosing to play it, right? And the same thing. We we saw that with um with um you know the first few episodes of Rosario Dawson. We were all kind of like, it's not quite what I was expecting. It's not quite right to what I think of of the character. But now we've kind of gotten through these first five episodes, and she's really had an arc where you sort of realize, like, oh, what was going on in her head that was keeping her being a little more muted and a little, little less joyful, and the character that we've come to love through the many animated series uh, so far. It's all intertwined. She was really you know, holding herself back from, you know, feeling that connection and emotion and joy and things like that, because I think she was afraid she would be led down a path that, that Anakin went down and that, that she would, you know, I think she was doing a lot of self-reflection and hence she was a lot more muted. Okay, well, now that we know that, it makes the first few episodes completely logically why she was playing the character that way. But for the first few episodes, we were like, man, she's kind of stiff, right? So, yeah. No. All right. Um, we do some quotes. Um, one is never too old to learn snips. That's from Anakin. Uh, you do things your way because you care. This is why people like you. That's who Yang to Hera. I thought that was a very sweet way of describing who she is. Uh, Ahsoka within you will be everything I am. All the knowledge I possess, just as I inherited the knowledge from my master and he from his, you are part of a legacy. And it's if you follow that train backwards from Ahsoka or even from Sabine, Sabine back to Ahsoka, back to Anakin, back to Obi-Wan, back to uh, Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon's master was Dooku. Dooku's master was Yoda. Uh, so that is quite a legacy to have carried forward. Um, all of those characters, yes, including Yoda, are flawed, are, are flawed and complicated people. So interesting, interesting way to bring that all full, full circle. Um, Ahsoka's, of course, great line. I choose to live when she defeats uh, the ghost of, of Anakin. And uh, I don't know how you score this, but we're losing right now from Hera. That was uh, there was a very um, Empire Strikes Back moment in this one, too, where at the very end, uh, uh, Ahsoka and Huyang are inside the the uh, Burgle and they're about to fly into hyperspace to the galaxy further, further away. And she sort of says, you know, don't worry, we'll find them. It was very much like the end of Empire Strikes Back. It's that, you know, we're down, but we're not out kind of moment, too, where uh, Lando and, and Chewbacca are taking off and uh, and leaving Luke and Leia behind. In this case, we're leaving Hera and Chopper and and um, Jason behind. So, yeah. Any other quotes stand out? I'm mean with mine. Um, the The one that I wrote down was Jason's Don't You Hear It? the lightsabers mm. and then for some reason that made me ask my big question which is does jason end up training at luke's jedi academy that has been raised in a few different places i've seen it and it is a great question is uh if if he was destined to do that i hate to think that they introduce these characters uh that you know meet a tragic fate but at a certain point logic dictates that that would be the case right 
I mean, there's only so many, like, you know, went out to get some milk and came back and said, oh, my gosh, the temple's burned down. <laughs> what happened yeah, while I was gone? Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> coincidentally, Grogu isn't there now, because we were worried about Grogu when when he got dropped off before, and then it turned out that, you know, uh, Grogu's path was actually back with, with uh, Din Djarin. But, yeah, it's, um, it's always going to come up when you meet young, Force-sensitive people. Hey, uh, Broom Boy get killed in this like who who else died in this this brutal slaughter by the knights of ren that we've seen uh glimpsed in the in the um the sequel trilogy right so do we know that broom boy got killed no we don't but in theory the idea at in in the last jedi was that um there was force sensitive kids all over the place and those kids could you know whatever so but you know uh, that that kid would have existed later, to be fair. So I'm just saying there are kids like that who are force sensitive who would have ended up in in uh, Luke's academy and would have ended up getting slaughtered. So, right. Um, my question that I had for this one, um, which is in here somewhere. I know I had a question. Ah, uh, yes. Did it live up to the hype? This was an episode that they deliberately put into movie theaters that they explicitly said, like, this is a thing. Get ready. D- did it did it do everything for you you were looking for? It was an enjoyable episode. I mean, I did, I did enjoy that part of it, right? Like, I mean, it was one of the, it was one I would want to go back and watch again because it had a lot of tie-ins to a lot of, you know, a lot of nostalgia and, you know, cl- um, fan service in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and a good sort of object lesson. I mean, I think that you know, I don't know about you, but like, Darth Vader was a badass. Like right from from Episode Four, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was meant to be the he was meant to be the Black Knight. You know, kind of like, you know, and and they kind of they kind of softened him in Return of the Jedi by by having that sort of moment with Luke at the end, right? As the Death Star is being destroyed, but. um Anakin was a whole different game. I mean, they messed him up. They messed up the character, you know, with with the first movie that Hayden Christensen was in because it was so badly written, you know. Um, this this and you know, of course, you know, he was a, a really interesting character in Rebels and Clone Wars, right? Like you said, like you, they they redeemed him in a sense, in that sense, right? Um, so it was good to sort of see him and to see Hayden Christensen portray him in this particular point where he's the he's the Qui Don passing on the knowledge. He's the mm-hmm. Obi Wan passing on the knowledge, right, to the younger Jedi, right? To the Padawan. You know, metaphorically and literally, because she she actually is a, you know, thirteen year old kid at one point, right? Yep. Yep. I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty good. I think you can get really far with the the uh Anakin Ahsoka stuff and it definitely feels like the sort of thing you can put on uh you know, a novelty cup or novelty popcorn tin. <laughs> no. Yeah, people will get it tattooed on their, their butts. Yeah. I think I already saw a brief uh, clip that they're starting to put in the Disney Plus promotions, too. So the spoilers are coming uh, fast and ready if uh, if you aren't keeping up week to week. Yeah, they put... Uh, so each week when they introduce new characters or sort of things like that, they do these character posters on uh, on the Star Wars social feeds. And this week they did a poster that had Anakin, they did a poster that had Rex, and a poster that had young Ahsoka on it. And it was like, well, if you don't know now, you know now. So <laughs> it was definitely, um, yeah, it was hard to hard to avoid this week. Hard to avoid. Yeah. Well, sorry, Keen. 
<laughs> not that he's here. Not that he'll hear, he'll hear this later. <laughs> I was going to say, when he gets around to it, it'll, it'll all be very funny. Yeah. In the future. We'll see you in the future, Keen. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, if he ever comes back and listens to these parts, I don't know. We'll have to see. Let's move on to our watch list. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. You guys got something? No. Just back and sit back and enjoy. What do you got, Jaime? Yeah, I think maybe a few episodes ago we'd had some statement around like the actors that are that guy or you know that lady, and there is an actual uh, you know fun song from the Screen Junkies YouTube channel that is a the that guy song and ode to character actors like uh you know William Fichtner 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 yeah Bill Fichtner yeah uh Ray Stevenson there's yep. you know, just 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 go through this nice little song of like all of these like oh yeah there's that person that's right yeah. uh and, and then like Jennifer Coolidge now being borderline a list mm-hmm. after being uh, Stifler's mom from American Pie for so long yeah, no, absolutely true there. And there's so many character actors like that, right? That are just, you know, their face, you've seen them in many projects, but you know, you're just like, ah, I couldn't tell you that person's name if, <laughs> unless there was a gun to my head. And even then, yeah, that's funny. Um, for my watch list this year, uh, this year, this week, I had to add um, this new thing that was announced uh, this week, which was the, uh, the box set for Clerks 1 to 3. There's a limited edition box set that is that is being put out of the Clerks movies. Uh, Tim, I know you're a fan. Um, it is the three Clerks films on Blu-ray and digital, but the set also includes a 3D miniature of Quick Stop and RST Video, um, which is, of course, the location for the uh, the uh, antics of the Clerks in the uh, the movies. And um, yeah, it's it includes a set of stickers that you can put on the outside that sort of change the you know the different parts and stuff like that. Um, it's just it's a fun set. If you're a Clerks fan, um, it's an interesting little piece of um, memorabilia as well as uh, obviously, uh, as far as I know, this is the first time we've seen a box set of the three films. So uh, yeah, this one definitely caught my eye as as uh, something that. Uh, Many uh, longtime Kevin Smith slash Clerks fans would uh, would love to have on their uh, their shelf as a as a uh, reminder of all the the fun. I did finally get a. I think I have a DVD. Um, I got it at a garage sale. Um, it might even actually be unopened, but um, yeah, I don't own the uh, that movie on Blu-ray. I think I don't know if I own it on a downloadable as well. But yeah, that that certainly is interesting. Yeah, I think I have. It in pretty much. I, I know I have the original VHS. I have a bootleg from uh, back in the day that contained the alternate ending on VHS, uh-huh. and then of course the the original um, DVD had all the deleted scenes, including the alternate ending of Clerks One, and then I have the the tenth anniversary set that came out that included just a ton of behind the scenes stuff, all kinds of goodies on that one. And then I have the Blu-ray as well of Clerk. So pretty much every iteration so far, I don't think they put out a 4K version as far as I know. Um, and and I think the uh, the all-time accomplishment for you and I, Tim, was that we got to see an original print of it in, in the theater as well. So you, yeah, the uncleaned yeah. uh, actual film print of it was uh, was a different experience as well. Yeah. And we saw Kevin Smith roll out the third one recently. That's true. That's true. And I got to meet Kevin a few times, and he's a, a lovely soul. 
All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, Jonathan, if people can get in touch with you, where would they find you? You can find me on uh, Twitter slash X and Instagram is at JPK News, or you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash at JPK. All right. And Jaime, if people can get in touch with you, where do they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev the Hair. All right. Well, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine, on the X machine, on the Blu-ray machine, the Blue Sky machine. What else? All the other machines. That's where you'll find me. Until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Apple phone. You're not in the market for any of them. <laughs> um, I need a new. I need to get a new phone of some ilk because uh, Foster is so. La- as last year, no, it's two years ago. Two years ago, we did a sort of an upgrade. So I have have a 13. Xavier got. Uh, he's got the smaller one, right? The, the smaller, the mini. Yeah, the mini. and he's happy with that one. Sherry got my old one, which I think is a, an 11. And, mm-hmm. But Foster has still got the, I think she's got a seven or something, like something old. And it has really started to become a clunker. So I have to replace hers soon. So uh, if you're if you're doing any up, if you're doing any upgrades and you want to pass them down, you let me know. I wasn't really planning on it, but actually tonight is the time to order. But I mean, I have a 14 Pro, which has got a really nice camera on it. Mm. And then Carol has the 12, I think. Yeah. Yeah, she's got the 12. And so I don't I don't know if she necessarily wants to use, she wants to do the upgrade. But yeah, that, that's a possibility. I do have a 10 here, but I mean, the 10 can't do the new new OS, right? I have a 10 I'm not using. It, use, the 10 can't do the a, new OS? It can't do, it can, yeah, it's, it's up to whatever it's up to. Yeah, that was the issue we were running into with Foster's is that, uh, yeah, she's hit the wall on on upgrades. And so she's hopefully going to be starting back in high school in the very near term. And we wanted to get her onto a proper phone package. And her phone is not ideal for that. What phone does she have? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. And I'm trying to remember if it's seven. I have a 10. I think she's... Okay, but I have a 10 in my hand. So I've also got a six. But yeah, no... The the one you know the one that I had and I've replaced the battery and I've replaced the screen on it, um, so but but it's not uh, officially it's not worth anything because it's had parts replaced, right? Right, right, right. Um, you and I had this conversation before, yeah, about this phone. Yeah. 
Well, I think we talked about it for Xavier at one point, but uh, we ended up getting that. So I think our sort of family's worth of phone packages expires in October. So I think we're going to sort of see what's on offer. Because again, I'm very happy with my 13. Sherry's happy with her 11. Xavier's happy with his. It's just a matter of what we need to get something more modern into the hands of Foster. Because, yeah, she's carrying around a bit of a dated model. Yeah, this one, this this um, ten will only do up to sixteen point six one, which I'm just installing now that you mentioned it. Um, but yeah, it can't do seventeen. Um, but and, but I mean, there is a reason why I would get the the Vision Pro, oh, not the Vision Pro, the 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 iPhone fifteen with Vision Pro capability is apparently the uh, the new um, fifteen Pro can take. Um, Spatial video, spatial video, and maybe spatial photography, which will then be able to be used on the iPhone or the uh, Vision Pro. Hmm. Yes, what that's still that would be the only reason. Other than oh, and the five time zoom, right? So, I was really disappointed when I went to the two concerts recently with with my uh, my fourteen. I yeah, no, I know I used it at the, at the Cure concert, right? But I was, I was finding inside. It, I mean, it, maybe they've changed the camera software or something, but I was finding that the blacks were coming out kind of gray. Hmm. Mind you, I was sitting way back. I was like at the very last row of the floors for Clapton and uh, sitting in the, the 300s for Gabriel, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But um, so I had to go into the videos after the fact and, and make them darker, like because the blacks weren't black enough, right? So, yeah. I still have to upload those videos, but oh, cool. Anyway, yeah, that's the that's the name of that tune. Um, yeah, so we we could we could talk. It depends on depends on your budget, right? So yeah, I mean that's it. We need to figure out. Um, I don't know what's like. Would you would you offer. can you get subsidized phones anymore? Like I don't know if you can do that. I don't. You get the lower ones, right? I don't know. I I, I feel like I subsidized my. I feel like I subsidized this one, but I can't remember. It's been a while. The problem with doing these things every couple of years, you're like, what's happening again? I said it's a problem with doing this every two years. You're like, what the hell was I doing two years ago? Oh. What did I what did I sign up for? <laughs> what did I what what kind yeah. of why why am I doing this? Well, I finally I finally paid for both of my phones, right? Like the mm-hmm. the um like the I think the last I just did the last payment on on the twelve. I bought it through Rogers. Um, so the twelve is paid for the fourteen. I bought outright because yeah. I decided I don't want to. I want it. I mean, even though I'm staying with Rogers, right mm-hmm. for now. I don't want to be beholding to them, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're giving me any better deal because I'm bringing my own phone, but, but I mean, I've learned this from Mark and Jaime that just buy your phone, right? Like, Jaime, you buy your phone outright, don't you? I do. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mark, Mark was on that plan that they have in the States. In the States, they have the Apple upgrade plan thing where every year you can get the new phone. Bastards. <laughs> yeah, I seem to recall. But you have to pay for that, though. Now that I think of it, I think, um, I think Sherry bought me this phone so that we could do the pass down because i think i paid for xavier's she paid for mine and then we just sort of spread it all around but um this one has been excellent because not only is it a 13 but i got the 13 with the the largest capacity so it's been such a lovely well, thing i, I use I, I use icloud so i don't need to have the space anymore i i, I don't I never fill my phone up yeah but the flip, side, the flip side of that for me is that I don't have uh, iCloud, so I didn't have to spend any money on iCloud. So that's nice. Mm. Yeah, well, we did because we were just we we didn't matter. We were always up against the oh, I got to throw some stuff out because we're always running out of space. So we just 
bit the bullet, and then you know, then we get the Apple TV and everything with that and the fitness and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just gonna go and look up iPhone storage here. Yeah, so I have a 256, right? But I've, I'm only using 125. Yeah. So I've got yeah. a one terabyte in this bad boy, and I think it's about mm-hmm. ha- more than half, half full. So that's what I mean. Like that's the thing is now now you're like, where do you back it up? And I mean, the thing about this is. With iCloud, half of my data is in the cloud, and you know, and plus I share all my data between my devices, right? So I use my iPhone. I don't, if I'm working on a Pages document or whatever, I don't want to. I don't want to have to think about which phone, which version I have on which device. I just go to a device, sit down in front of it, and open the file and go, right? So that's the beauty of iCloud, right? Yeah. From that perspective, it's kind of like Google Docs in that sense, right? Mm. But um, and I trust Apple more than I trust Google, but. Yeah, I don't know. Um, is the pricing updated online yet, Jaime? For the for the Apple stuff, today's the day or to, tonight at five a.m. or something. That's when you can order them, right? Uh, five a.m. Pacific, so you get to be in, uh, you know, in bed and and wake up on a normal breakfasty time. Oh, eight, eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, right. Yeah, the East Coast. Let's see. And actually, turns out it's going to be a story on tomorrow's Morning Dust Code when we record. They're charging us even more money um, in Canada than you guys. You mean right. even after you account for the rate differences in uh, currency? Yeah, yeah. So, so it says here that the iPhone 15 Pro, for example, is starting at fourteen forty nine. I think it's nine ninety nine. What they announced, right? Whoa, really? Starting? Hold on, hold on. Uh, what did I select? Select to nine ninety nine. So I'm getting the two fifty six gig model. At ten ninety nine, so yeah, you're probably right. It's probably nine ninety nine for the base model. So how much are you getting? Two fifty six. What is the price? Yeah, uh, ten ninety nine. Ten ninety nine. Copy ten ninety nine. That's two fifty six, right? Yeah, two fifty six gigs. Okay, so that would be fourteen eighty five, sixty five. So fourteen eighty five with the exchange. Let me. I'm sorry. Are we talking? I may have misheard you because there's like a lot of different models. I'm getting the 15 Pro. I'm not getting the Pro Max. Yeah, no, I'm talking about the 15 Pro. Okay, okay, good. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss the Max. Seriously, what other phone is there? There can there's only only that one. Let's go with blue titanium. Okay, so yeah, so for me, so yours would be 10.99, right? 10.99, yeah. Mine would be 15.99. So a whole uh, $500 more. That's crazy. Oh no! Sorry, fourteen eighty five is what the fourteen eighty five is what yours would convert to in Canadian dollars. Really, I just so typed like, it into Google fifteen ninety nine CAD to USD, and it tells me it's uh, one thousand one hundred eighty four US dollars, which is higher, yes, but not not as high. No, as no, it's fourteen eighty five. Is the current exchange rate? Which number are you converting? 10, are you converting? You, you told me fifteen ninety nine CAD. Ten ninety nine. Right? Ten ninety nine. Oh, ten ninety nine USD first. USD is fourteen eighty five Canadian. Mm-hmm. Yep, fourteen. And yep, fourteen eighty five. Apple's charging. Apple's charging another one hundred and ten bucks for that phone. Yeah, they're charging fifteen ninety nine. Is there a uh, not to make it too political? Is there a blame your parliament sort of thing? Yeah, there's a there's always a fifty dollar something or other like cost to get across the border kind of thing. Pay off the border guards, I guess, for the truck. <laughs> You know, oh, it's coming. It's coming by ocean liner. That's what it is. Remember, they mentioned that in the show. It's no longer coming by air. They're going to ship it up by boat. Have <laughs> <laughs> to go down to the Panama Canal, go all the way upside of Florida, come in down the St. Lawrence to to Toronto, right? 
Yeah, I'd have to think of like what the the funniest and dumbest way of like uh, I don't know going out through like the Hudson through like the American side and then circling around and open <laughs> in international waters to make it a little loop and then coming right back into the Hudson and doing port right on the Canadian side. <laughs> <laughs> Just making this like uh, you know uh, cotton swab Q-tip sort of shape on the map. So those rumored USB charge cables never turned up, right? The colored ones? I would have thought that would be an, uh, um, an iMac thing anyway, right? Like, I bet what's going to happen is is all the keyboards and everything are going to go USB-C too now, right? I think I did see an article of, like, here are the things that are still remaining for the lightning cable. Um, yeah. You know, if you wanted to get into, like, deep state conspiracy thoughts, you'd be like me who says, wait a minute, how come my lightning cable starts fraying the week leading into the Apple event? Total coincidence as this, like, probably nearly decade-old thing, or was it timed? Yeah. Well, if I do a trade-in, I might actually be able to get um, some money for my 14. Yeah, you'll probably do pretty good, because my 12 Pro is getting, what? Uh... You're getting a trade-in on that? Yeah, what's, what's the trade-in value? I'm getting a trade-in credit of 360. Oh, yeah, the trade-in values are always look low for me, I think. Yeah, it's always going to be lower than, like, going on, you know, Kijiji or OfferUp or Craigslist or Swappa or something. Um, But for me, I just don't want to deal with the hassle. I just want to get an empty box from Apple, wipe my device, put it in the box, put it in the mail, and be done with it. Yeah. Do they give you the phone first? They must do, right? Um, They, ooh, I think most times I've gotten the phone first and then the box, like, a day or two later. But I'm pretty sure I've gotten the box at least once slightly earlier. I'm sure they probably, like, ship them out at the same time. The phone comes in a slightly premium shipping option compared to the, the empty box. It's, like, whatever the cheapest thing is. So I guess it depends on your, your local postal service and or UPS service. How, do you, how, do you, how much were you getting for your phone trade-in? 360 for a 256-gig 12 Pro. Yeah, I would get seven seven eighty if I traded mine in, and so it would cost me eight nine eight eighteen eight nineteen if I didn't uh, if I traded it in. I mean, it's it, it's almost like you have the iPhone upgrade program, anyways. If you think of it as like yeah. you're leasing a yeah. car instead of actually owning it, yeah. as long as you keep. Well, I can also do okay. I can also do a monthly payment too, which is what I it started with last year. I did a monthly payment, but I just I paid it off halfway through. Uh, Halfway through the year, right? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought with Rogers, I had also with Carol's phone, I had done the trade up program, but I, I guess not. I, I don't know. I'll check with that one. Rogers is always fishy, especially especially on the day of ordering. They're always like, "Oh, we have no information. We don't know anything. We're dumb." And I'm like, "Yep, you are." <laughs> yeah, in all the... that's kind of moot because I'm still, you know, obviously Jonathan needs a phone for his family, so. <laughs> Oh, we'll get there. Right, John? We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, this is a good phone. I mean, this phone I have here. It's purple. Does that matter? Mauve or whatever you call this? I don't think my daughter will care what color her phone is as long as it's more functional. Oh, this is more functional than yours, right? So it has a dynamic island and all that stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. You still have the notch on your 13, right? I do. Yeah. Most of the time, it's not a problem, but sometimes it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Did we talk about the Donald Glover... Movie last week? 
the Lando stuff. We talked about the fact that he and his brother were going to write it, but we didn't talk. The, today they were talking about the fact they're going to turn it into a movie, right? They're actually going to do a movie yeah, instead Dave, of a show. Dave Price, Dave, yeah, Dave Price just posted it in, in our Slack channel, which people could join, right? Yep. Yeah, no, I saw that earlier. I thought, oh, it's worth reporting on. I'm like, it's not really much. I think, what's, what's the difference, really? I figured we had more uh, bigger fish to fry with a lot of Ahsoka talk, so I figured there's no point in really getting too far into the weeds on this. Yeah, did we give Dave credit for, um, I don't remember, did I give him credit for his fact check thing? As yeah, well? yeah. Yeah, he did Dave Price. Okay, cool. Yep. Just want to make sure I had him covered, you know? <laughs> yep. It's nice to have some active community members. It's nice to have more active community members. Yeah, community. Well, I guess I should put the link to the Slack in the show notes too, right? Not Probably. the worst idea, yeah. Yeah, except you get idiots. You still have to answer the skill testing question to get onto our Slack. <laughs> yeah, which is a more than just code, more than just code question. Yeah, yeah. Unless, unless I I invited Keen Keen directly because we were he was working we were working together, but at the time. Yep. Anywho, one of uh, my colleagues at uh, Kai High is um, she is uh, an Uber nerd as well, and. She and her husband, uh, they do a lot of cosplay. So for, you know, for Fan Expo, for Ottawa Comic Con and stuff like that, they uh, do a lot of stuff. And she is a very, uh, like my mother, very talented uh, costume designer. And so she and her husband and a group of their friends uh, all dressed up as characters from Lower Decks for the Ottawa Comic Con last week. I'll put a picture into our uh, Slack channel. Uh, But she dressed up as Dr. Taana. Uh, including all the full makeup and the fur ears and stuff like that. Her husband was Shaxx. Oh, really? yeah. Um They had pretty yes. much everybody covered. Uh, they only had, they had uh, a Mariner. They had uh Boimler, although the Boimler was, was, uh, appeared to be a female, but that's okay. Um, mm. and they didn't mm-hmm. have a Rutherford, uh, but they had somebody as Tendy and, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. It was very, very fun. Um, I go through her um, Instagram every once in a while because she's done tons. She's dressed up as like Hera and Ahsoka and like all these different characters over the years. She makes all these costumes. It's it's really awesome. Mm, cool. I appreciate it's it when people can nerd well. out uh, with uh, reckless abandon. Yeah. Do yourselves a favor. Read that uh, Bill Willingham. Uh, um, I did read part of it. Yeah, read the whole thing. It is fascinating. It is that is just that is bat crap crazy. That is it's unprecedented and fascinating. Hmm. Just from an artist's perspective of you know somebody somebody who created things or creates things, the step that he has taken is just an absolute milestone. It's really interesting, and I'm genuinely surprised. I keep I've been checking all day to see if somebody big picked it up. I can't can't understand how it hasn't popped up on you know hollywood reporter entertainment weekly uh deadline ign comic book news like somebody's gonna get on it soon because this is really interesting Hmm. but yeah like in my in my um social media connections who are in the comics industry people have just been like holy crap all day Uh, sure coolio all right yeah kids on that note, we'll start updating all our devices, and we'll see you next time. All right. See you next week, guys. Okay. Bye. Later. Bye. 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 Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.